lovely to see you. We're going to kick straight on because we've um, had a little bit of hiatus in proceedings this morning. So any Nigerians here this morning? Happy Independence Day. So I gather you get to take tomorrow off work as well, do you? But God bless you. So can you remember what you were doing on the evening of Thursday the 23rd of June last year? through to the morning of Friday the 24th. Can you remember? But personally, I was glued uh, to the television, watching people like David Dimbleby, uh, watching votes being counted, watching uh, results coming in. So uh, those of you who knew I was going to be talking about Brexit issues this morning, I thought what we'd start by doing is just saying, if you voted, leave if you go sit in that side <laughs> and remain that side. And if you didn't vote or didn't care, you can just... Of course we're not going to do that. Um, and those of you that came along thinking um, that I was going to share which way I voted, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, because statistically, half of you uh, would say, Andy, well done, and half of you would say, Andy, what were you thinking? Um, so this is how the vote went, just in case you need a, a reminder. Um, so 33.5 million people voted, and that's how they voted. That result sent shockwaves around our nation, around Europe, and around the world. And since then, it seems to me that our nation has become even more politically divided. Things haven't got better, I think, and actually it's got even more divided. The government can't agree amongst themselves. Uh, the opposition can't agree amongst themselves. Uh, there are protests. There are people calling for a second referendum. There are other people saying, this is democracy, just deal with it. It wasn't best of three. It wasn't a game of rock, paper, scissors. You know, just kind of, we, we've done it. One of the sad things is the personal stories that you read out. And this is quite raw with a lot of people. But there are some really sad stories. I've spoken to people in this church who've told me that when they go out for dinner as a couple with, with other friends, they have to remind themselves before they go out, don't mention the B word. Don't talk about Brexit because they know that if they do, it is going to cause a heated argument and probably the breakdown of friendship. So they avoid it. There was an article in the Guardian newspaper. This was last December. It was written by a journalist, so this is six months after the vote. She wrote this, I no longer talk to my dad about it. He just shuts down. My mum gets quite upset if I mention it. I think she's upset that I'm upset. And then I read another story. This is from a 60-year-old man. He wrote this, My wife and I separated in December for the third and final time. Our differing views on Brexit encapsulated many of the reasons why we're no longer together. The morning of the result, I woke up early and felt flawed. Next to me, and still asleep, was my wife, who had been in favour of Brexit. That morning, I was hostile towards her. I had no right to behave that way, and I regret it. Not for the first time, I seem to be saying, you're wrong, and I'm right. The subject of the referendum had become difficult over the previous weeks, and now it was toxic. The charity Relate, who do relationship counselling, they've done a survey of their 300 relationship counsellors. 20% of them have worked with clients over the last year who are arguing about Brexit. 20%. Now, for us in the UK, 
we have a range of media options that we can engage with. And for each of us, we'll probably have preferred options. You'll have a preferred newspaper, you'll have a preferred news feed on your phone or on the TV, and the result of that is many of us live in self-contained echo chambers that continually reinforce our own perspectives and cut us off from the perspective of others. So this morning, we're starting a new series which we've entitled Different Together. Different Together. We find ourselves, I believe, in an increasingly fractured world. It is fractured along political lines, racial lines, generational and gender lines. And so the question that I want us to explore is, is this. Is there anything that can pull us together? Is it possible for an individual to maintain their distinctive beliefs and identity and still unite around a vision of life that brings us together. We're going to explore that over these next few weeks. Back in the Old Testament, in a prophetic book called Isaiah, he wrote about this, he wrote about what we'll see when the Messiah comes, when God's kingdom comes in its fullness. He wrote this, the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. Now, I'm looking forward to the time when wolves and lambs can live in peace together. The question I'd like to ask this morning is, can leavers and remainers live together in peace? We're going to pray, because we need to right now. Lord, thank you that you are the only wise God. And Lord, we ask that as we engage with difficult issues, with things that for many of us may be raw, with things that cause so many different emotions to rise up within us. Lord, we ask for wisdom. And so, Lord, as we turn to the Bible this morning, Lord, I ask that you speak to us. And, Lord, in the, in the big issues of life and the little issues of life, Lord, thank you that you care and that, and that your wisdom um, is available to us in all of those different areas. And so, Lord, I ask that by your Spirit you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, do you want to turn to Matthew chapter 22? This is New Testament, the first of the gospel stories of the life of Jesus. And this is what we read. I'm going to read a story from verse 15 of Matthew chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So that's just a bit of flattery thrown in. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. 
When we read the gospel stories of Jesus, we need to remember that they are narrative accounts, but they also give us an insight into the history of the day. In that world, they were living in a religious uh, context of Judaism. But actually, it's probably more accurate to say Judaisms, plural, because there was a variety of, pro of approaches to God's law, to tradition, to politics, to culture. And we see two of those Judaisms in the verses that we read this morning. In verses 15 and 16, we see reference to the Pharisees and to the Herodians. The Pharisees were anti-Roman occupation. The Romans were occupying Palestine. They were anti-Roman occupation. They were looking forward to a Jewish state ruled over by the Messiah. And so they wanted the Romans to leave. They wanted self-rule. They didn't want to send any more tax money to Rome. Brussels. They wanted them to leave. They wanted to leave. The Herodians supported King Herod, who was the puppet governor of the Romans. So they were in favor of paying taxes to Rome, Brussels. They wanted to remain. They wanted things to stay as they were. Two completely opposite perspectives of government. And they come to Jesus and ask this in verse 17. Tell us, Jesus, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? What they were trying to do was to get Jesus onto their side of the political argument. They were trying to use Jesus for political purposes. In other words, tell us, Jesus, are you a lever or are you a remainer? Jesus, who are you going to vote for? Who did you vote for? What are you going to vote for in the future? Jesus, tell us. Now, I wonder if you've read the Gospels and observed this, that so often when Jesus is asked a question, he does not answer it straight on. And I find that intensely frustrating. And this is another one. Jesus so often answers a question with a question. And so this is what we find in verses 18 to 21. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. So what is Jesus saying? What I believe he's saying is this. Don't try to squeeze God into your little political boxes. Don't try and squeeze him into one of your little, one of my little political boxes. I remember having a conversation with a number of people leading up to the Brexit vote. And one of them I remember as clear as day. They said to me, Andy, I've prayed and God has told me to vote in this way. And as gracious as I could, I said, really? Because what does that say to someone who has also prayerfully thought about their vote and come to the opposite decision? Are we saying that God has not spoken to them? You see, 
hear me. It's really important that we vote ahead of things like this. Vote, uh, pray before you vote. And allow the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts. But we can't place God on our political spectrum. We can't place him on left or right. We can't place him on leave or remain. You see, I don't believe that Jesus is a lever or a remainer. I don't believe that he's a conservative, a labor, a liberal democrat, a green, an SMP, whatever you want. I don't believe he is. Why? Because God doesn't fit into that. He transcends our politics. He's above. So how can we take a really positive approach to politics? How can we do that positively? How can we engage with people who have very different views to our own and stay friends? Because I believe there has to be a better way than just avoiding topics of conversation, doesn't there? There has to be a better way than doing that. I want to share four things with this this morning. They all begin with the letter C. So hopefully, this helps us to take something away and to remember. I do want to acknowledge um, Rich Nathan. He's the senior pastor of Vineyard Columbus out in the United States. Um, just for his, uh, he's, he's put some helpful things out there of how we can engage uh, with the political world around us. And so I just want to acknowledge him this morning. The first thing is character. First thing is character. Jesus in the Bible doesn't, I believe, tell us how to vote, but he does tell us how to live. Doesn't tell us how to vote, but he does tell us how to live. He is far more concerned about our values than our votes. And he says that our influence primarily comes from our personal character, not from our political convictions. It comes from our personal character. You see, if we want to make a difference, if we want our lives to count, and actually I believe that's pretty much true for every person I've ever met, we want our lives to count in some way, character is the key issue. Character for you and me is the key issue. So I'm going to share some examples, and as I do, would you just have a couple of questions running through your mind? Firstly, how did Jesus think Christians would influence the world? How did he think that would happen? And secondly, is that description that Jesus gives us, is that the public face of Christianity in our world today? Is that the public face of Christianity in the UK right now? So the examples I'm going to take are from Jesus' most famous sermon, it's the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So, for example, verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Our influence is directly related to our display of mercy. So that if we've messed up, if we've screwed up, if we've done things that we're ashamed of, and when we meet a Christian or we go to church, our mistakes aren't going to be thrown back in our face, but instead we're going to be shown kindness and mercy. That's the kind of life that Jesus calls us to live. That's to be the public face of the church. Verse 9 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Christians are called to break down walls. Mr. Trump. We're called to break down walls, to bring people together, to build an inclusive society. We're to be people who don't start wars, but who seek to end them. Verses 31 to 32 of that chapter, Jesus talks about divorce. Difficult subject. But the question is, is that the public face of the church in the UK, where people are saying, you know those Christians, they stay married. You know, if you want to find some stuff about marriage, you want to, you want to understand how to work some stuff through, some difficult hang around some Christians, because they are grappling with these things. Is that the public face? Matthew chapter 5, verse 37 reads this, all you need to say is simply yes or no. So is that what people are saying about Christian people, about you and I, about the church? You know, those, those Christians, they're true to their word. You know, I can trust them. When I do business with a Christian person, I know that what they say is going to be what they do. They're going to stay true because when their yes is yes and their no is no, I know they're going to stay true to that. See, I believe that the biggest, the biggest threat to the church in the United Kingdom doesn't come from outside the church. It comes from within the church, from Christian people who don't look like or sound remotely close to Jesus's description of what his followers ought to be like. I believe that is our biggest threat. But wherever there is threat, there is always opportunity. And the opportunity is this, is that the church can be a place where black and white Asians and Hispanics, young and old, singles and marrieds, leavers and remainers can have community together. That is what church community is supposed to be like. And if we want that to be true, it starts with character. It starts with how we choose to live our lives. Second C, civility. Civility. Civility simply means public politeness. It's a hard attitude of having respect for other people. I don't know about you, but a lack of civility is one of the things that I hate about the political world. My day off is on a Wednesday. Half past 12, no, 12 o'clock on Wednesdays is Prime Minister's Question Time. I often watch it for the drama. But they are just rude to each other. And it's one of the things that I hate because there is a lack of civility. There is mudslinging. You don't get this any sense that they have any respect for a whole bunch of other people. It, it feels like it's, it's like being back in the school playground again. It's like you feel like saying, grow up. Just grow up. Let me read, go back to these, these verses in Matthew chapter 22, verses 19 to 21. Jesus says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius... And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So Jesus says to the crowd listening to them, he says, I know what divides you. It's the coin. That's what divides you. It's all about money. It's all about money. 
Because, you know, actually, that's what most of politics is about. It's about who's going to get what slice of the pie and how much am I going to get. So a lot of what it comes down to is, is what am I going to get. And so Jesus holds up a coin, and it is just a piece of metal. And he says, whose image is on it? This has actually got the queen. But in their context, they said Caesar's. It's got Caesar's image. So Jesus says, well, give to the government what belongs to the government. Pay your taxes. And then humor me. Let me just use a little bit of imagination at this point, because I can imagine Jesus pointing to someone in the crowd. Sunday. And Jesus saying, whose image is on that person? Whose image is on Sunday? Now, every Jewish person listening would know the answer to that. Because they would know that human beings are made in the image of God. They would just know that. And so then Jesus says, so give to God what is God's. You see, we show honor to money because it has the image of the queen on it. It has the image of our ruler on it. And Jesus says to us, show more honor to people because they carry the image of God. Beyond the image of the queen, they carry the image of God. You see, every human being carries the image of God. You have never met anybody that does not carry the image of God. Even the person whose opinion you most violently disagree with, even the person you think is a complete idiot, they carry the image of God. That is why we are to show civility to others who hold different perspectives. Character, civility. The third C is contact. Contact. I grew up in southeast London in a place called Carshalton Beaches. It is as leafy as it sounds. It, is a, it, it was a nice place to grow up. From there, if you wanted to go shopping, you would go to Croydon. And some of you may be familiar with Croydon. You, you, would, you could kind of venture along to West Croydon, but then when I was growing up, you wouldn't go any further. Because actually, if you kept walking that way and kept heading north from there, you might end up in Streatham. And if you ventured a little bit further, you might end up in Brixton. And when we were growing up, the people there were very different to the people of Carshalton Beaches. So we just didn't, just didn't venture along that road. There is a theory in sociology called the contact hypothesis. And the hypothesis says this, that the best way to improve relations between groups experiencing conflict is to bring those groups together, especially in social settings, outside of work, outside of the area that is, is causing that conflict, is to bring them together in another area. Um, that's the contact hypothesis that sociologists will tell us about. Because what it does is it breaks down fears, it breaks down prejudices, it breaks down generalizations that we hold about other people. See, one of the things that I believe about a church like Riverside Vineyard, with all of the diversity that we have here, is that it can be a great place for fears, prejudices, and generalizations to be broken down as we do life alongside people that are different to ourselves. But we do need to break out 
from just spending our time with people that are like us. We need to break out and make connection and contact with people that are different to us. One of the things I mentioned last Sunday and that we're going to be launching next Sunday is, called, is something called 100 Shared Tables. I'm really excited about this. I'm not going to steal the thunder from next Sunday, but it is one of the things that we're going to run for the next few weeks just to encourage us to make kind of invitation to us to make connection and contact with people that are different to ourselves. Really, really important if we're going to do life well together. So character, civility, contact, and the fourth C is being Christ-centered. Living life in a Christ-centered way. Verse 21, the last verse here. Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Give to God what belongs to God. What belongs to God? You do. You do. You were bought at a price. So don't give your heart to a political party or some political ideology. Don't give your heart, your passion, the very core of your being to anything or anyone other than God. Live in a Christ-centered way. I'm going to show you this picture um, as we close. If we can click to that, Alison, that would be great. This can be very helpful in a lot of settings, for example, in, in a marriage counseling session. See, many people, when they're married, try to convince their partner that they're wrong and that their position is stupid. So rather than writing Lever and Remain, you might write, I don't know, Fred and Wilma. And they try and convince the other person that their position is wrong. I'm right. Come over to where I am. In fact, your position is pretty stupid. Come over to my perspective. Here's the best thing to do. Move closer to Jesus. Because if you move closer to Christ and the other person does the same, you will end up closer to each other. If you both do the same. The same is true in politics. I believe that if a lever gets closer to Christ, and a remainer gets closer to Christ, they are going to get closer to each other. That's living in a Christ-centered way. You see, Jesus died to bring us together. Jesus died to reconcile you and me, not only to God, but also to the whole of creation. That includes the person sat next to you. That includes the person whose views on life, on views on politics, whose views on the EU are diametrically opposed to yours. Jesus died to reconcile you to other people. You see, the secret of being reconciled to other people is to put Christ at the center. That is the secret to doing that. Because as we do, 
I believe there is a way for leavers and remainers to live at peace with one another. There has to be. There absolutely has to be. I would love to pray for us this morning. Yeah, let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll have an opportunity to pray for one another. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the life that you call us into, for the life that you make available to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to ask that every one of us here would be empowered by your Spirit to live the kind of life that you call us to live, that our character would become more and more like Jesus day by day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to live civil lives with a really good, healthy respect and love for every other human being. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to to reach out to people that are different to ourselves. Lord, help us to be those kind of people that are breaking walls down, that are including others into our lives. And Lord, I want to ask that by the grace that you give to us, that you would help us to live lives that are centered on Jesus Christ and him alone. And Lord, that you would put something into our hearts to to move closer to Christ every day of our lives. To keep on going. So Lord, I pray that you would release wisdom to us. Lord, I ask that... uh, that where the things of this past year have left us kind of confused and wondering whether there's hope for our world, Lord, that you would put a hope of eternity fresh into our hearts today. Lord, that with you, the future is always better. And so, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who holds all of this world in your hands. And Lord, whilst we don't know the political future, Lord, that we would trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand if you're able? I I grew up in an Anglican church. So this is going to sort of betray some of my Anglican roots. One of the things that we would very often do in an Anglican church is share the peace with one another, which is simply just a time where you would just shake somebody's hand if you don't know them that well. If you know them a little bit better and they're comfortable and you're comfortable, you can give an appropriate hug. Just trying to be careful here. And simply say, peace be with you. So could we just take a minute, because this is so important. Church is a wonderful place where we come from a whole diversity of gender, of race, of culture, and yet we come and we can be centered around Jesus Christ. And 
but, but I know that we're all very different. But yet he gives us life and he leaves us with peace. And I would love us just to offer that peace to somebody else. So could I just encourage you, and again, just move around a little bit. Just don't say hello to the person next to you. That's great. But why don't you go and say, peace be with you to somebody that maybe you've never said hello to before? Can we do that? Do we think we can just be a little bit Anglican? Just, just, just embrace the inner Anglican. Peace be with you, brother. Peace be with you. God bless you. Wonderful. Well done for embracing the inner Anglican. I know, I know time is running, so if you need to go and pick up children, uh, then please go do that. But um, Ash is going to lead us in a song of worship. Um, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, I know for, for some people that this issue can feel quite raw. Um, you may be here this morning, you know, f- for instance, you may be from one of the EU countries, you're living in the UK, and you don't know what the future holds. W- why don't you bring that uncertainty to Jesus this morning? These kind of issues may have left you feeling uncertain about the future. Bring those, bring those emotions to Jesus this morning. If you have any other needs, uh, your unwell body, mind, or spirit, we would love to pray. So um, the way that happens, just come forward uh, to the area around the front or the sides. One or two people will come and stand alongside you and pray this morning.